Hello there. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. How'd you stumble upon us today? Are you a longtime listener? Or are you someone who has just found this randomly? Or maybe a friend shared it with you? Well, however you have come to be here, thanks for being here. We have amazing conversations with people who are in healing or healing-adjacent professions about the journey of healing self while being a caretaker for others. And today is going to be a very special, you guys have no idea how special, episode. (laughs) I'm not even going to tell you who it is yet, even though, please, you already know who this is. Anyway, so... The reason today is a very special episode is because my executive director, Rael Grayson, has agreed to be on the podcast. Rael is a very private person. She will probably say this a thousand times in the interview, but she's a very private person. And she did me a big favor, but our relationship, I'm going to say this to her face as well, but I'm going to say it in the intro. Rael is one of, I don't know, like we definitely have shared past lives together before because it feels like we're some sort of sibling. Like it doesn't really feel like sisters exactly. It almost feels like brothers because we have this very funny, sarcastic way of treating each other. And (laughs) I know it's going to come through in this interview and I hope y'all enjoy it. Like she brings me so much joy. I am so proud of her as a human. I am so amazed by her as a manager just she is an exceptional speaker. Like she's so special. She's somebody who's so special. And she's just going to be pooping her pants to hear me say these things and know that I'm saying them to everyone out loud. But I feel really grateful that she is in my life. I feel so grateful that she found me. Actually, her friend, we'll talk all about it, but her friend sent her the job posting to work for me at Head Heart Therapy at the end of 2019. And thank God, literally she saved my life. Had I not brought her on once the pandemic hit in 2020, I truly actually don't think that I would have survived. I would have closed the business and I might have done something really terrible to hurt myself, like not even joking. So she is one of a kind, special and amazing. And the fun announcement that I have to share that I haven't really been keeping it a secret, but I haven't made it a public announcement yet on the podcast is that I'm selling head heart therapy to Rael because it's been eight years that I've been a practice owner and it's fucking exhausting, y'all. It is tiring. Rael, don't listen to this part. Uh, (laughs) It's so exhausting and I'm just tired and I'm ready to move on. I've got big plans for other things, which I will make a big announcement about once that's all figured out. But yeah, things aren't even signed yet, but I'm putting it out into the stratosphere because we are in the midst of making it happen. And I truly, truly couldn't be more grateful to have found somebody to pass the Head Heart legacy on to. And I'm really excited to see how the practice changes. People don't necessarily know this unless you're a business owner, but your business takes on the personality of the owner. And so Head Heart Therapy has changed over the eight years as I have changed. And as I pass the torch on to Rael, the business is going to change with her at the steering wheel, and it will change as she continues to change and grow. So I just thank you, Rael. And I'm so excited for everybody to get to know her the way I know her. So 
Before we do that, though, I wanted to remind you if you like this podcast, and I hope you do. I mean, I hope you're not listening if you don't like this podcast. So if you do like it, I would invite you to rate us on Apple Podcast and Spotify now has the ability to rate podcasts. And even more special, special, special is giving us a review on Apple Podcasts. So you do the little rate thing by giving stars and then the review would be writing something super nice, hopefully. I mean, if you want to write something shitty, go for it. But I prefer the nice things. Words of affirmation. So on to learning more about Rael. So Rael Grayson, LCPCCADC, is a licensed clinical professional counselor, certified addictions counselor, and the executive director at Head Heart Therapy. She holds a Master's of Arts degree in clinical counseling psychology from the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. As an executive team member at Head Heart, Rael infuses liberation and social justice values into the practice culture. She strives to cultivate a dynamic and diverse workplace. Rael is also a dynamic speaker and presents to clinicians all over the country, speaking on topics such as racism, racial trauma, and substance use disorders. Clinically, Rael is currently holding space and centering her work around those who identify as Black, Indigenous, and people of color. So please enjoy this amazing, wonderful, I love her so much, conversation with Rael Grayson. Rael! What's up? <laughs> <laughs> I already told everybody in the intro how much I love you and how we have this really fun, like antagonistic, sarcastic relationship. So I am really excited to share that with the world today. How about you? Yeah, I'm excited for everybody to hear it. I mean, I think anybody that knows me knows I'm sarcastic as shit. That's probably a word that anybody would use to describe me uh, mm-hmm. if you've ever met me or if you know me. That's true. That's true. So this is the first time I'm interviewing someone who's also my employee at the time. That means I'm the shit. That means I'm awesome. You hear that? Yeah. (laughs) World, do you hear that? Um, Well, I specifically decided not to do that because of power differentials and because I didn't want anybody to like think favorites, but you are my favorite. Sorry, everybody else who's listening. Rail's my favorite, which is why I'm selling her my practice. So that's one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you kind of publicly so we can talk about, you know, what it's like to work together and transfer the business mm-hmm. and all that kind of shit. But first, I don't even know your therapist origin story. Why and how, mm-hmm. like, what was your road to becoming a therapist? Tell everyone about you. Yeah. Well, also, if anybody knows me, knows that I am a, I'm a planner when it comes to things in my life. I initially went to college to actually become a medical doctor. So Hmm. that was kind of always in the stars for me, even when I was doing my college research and thinking about where I wanted to go to school. I just always knew like I'm going somewhere where they have a great medical program Hmm. And, you know, I end up getting to school. I got to University of Iowa, which is where I went to undergrad, go Hawks. And I had a roommate, my freshman year roommate. I was fortunate to actually live with two women who were older than me. So they actually were juniors because University of Iowa had messed up my housing. And uh-huh. so they had placed me with two older students in the athletic dorm. And I wasn't an athlete at the time, but everybody in that the dorm that I lived in were athletes. And she and I became good friends. And you know, she talked to me about talked to me about her history 
of mental illness and some cutting and self-mutilation behaviors. And I really wanted to show up for her and support her the best way I could. And so that kind of got my mind jogging a little bit about, okay, like, let me just kind of take the the psychology route. I was a pre-med student at the time, pre-med bio student. And I ended up switching my major. I stayed pre-med and ended up bringing in psychology. So I said, all right, let me take some psychology classes and really see the direction that this takes me. And I, of course, fell in love with psychology and I graduated. I took a year off and I thought, my gosh, like, you know, I finished all of these science classes and all of these psychology classes, like which decision is it going to be? Am I going to pursue psychology? Am I going to, you know, pursue medicine? And I think at the time, I really started to put a time clock on my life. Hmm. You know, I knew if I went into the medical field, I wanted to, I wanted to be an ER doctor. So I just wanted this kind of hustle and bustle of being in this high chaotic environment. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure we'll talk about this later. Uh, uh Yes, Uh, we will. (laughs) But I, I, I wanted to be in this, yes, high chaotic environment and really be able to hold composure and find my way around all this chaos in which I you know, in hindsight, thinking about it, this is, yeah, probably a pattern of things that I found myself in throughout my life and parts of it still today. And so I took a year off from school. And honestly, I really just decided to go to DePaul University. I enrolled in a just a regular master's in psychology. Didn't know what a master's in psychology was ever going to allow me to do, but I just needed something, some type of sign or something that said, yes, this is the direction. This is, this is what you should pursue. And I got into the class and I don't even know what happened. I've spent some time even reflecting on that, but it was just something just settled in me. Like, yes, yes, Mm -hmm. girl, this is the direction that you should go in. And so I was at DePaul for one semester and I ended up enrolling in the Chicago School of Professional Psychology and really just decided to commit my career by taking the psychology route. Lo and behold, Here your girl is. Here she is. And you probably know what I'm going to say in reaction to this. What's so funny about that to me is, and we've talked right when we were, before we started recording, that vulnerability is challenging, let's say. It's a Mm. challenge area for you. (laughs) So it's really funny to me that you were like, I'm going to go into this career where I help people, but I don't, I'm not vulnerable at all, right? And then you went the opposite route. And you could have, I mean, plenty of people can stay in this field being a therapist and not be vulnerable, but you fucking chose me. And that was the wrong choice if you didn't want to be vulnerable. So what's that been like for you to have that shift? All the people that I know in the therapy field, you all are assholes for not warning me in advance about Sarah. (laughs) I had no idea who this lady was. I had no idea who she was. And I was fortunate to actually get the job posting from another good friend of mine who at the time was just looking to transition in her career. And she said, hey, gee, like this, this job is by you. You should actually, you should apply. And I did everything to talk myself out of why I shouldn't apply. I literally got on the phone with her. I looked at all of the criteria that you were looking for, for this person, for this role. And I was like, that's not me. I don't have that. I don't have that. I don't have that. And my friend, she was just like, what are you talking about? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. 
And so actually credit goes to her for even pushing me to apply. And I stayed up till 2 a.m. applying to the job. I had just come back from volunteering at Sarah's Inn from the domestic violence shelter. And I was like, all right, like I'm just going to stay up and let me apply to this job. I'd been regularly applying to jobs for specifically that were just full-time therapists. And I knew my next transition coming out of community behavioral health, I didn't want it to be just a full-time therapist. I really still wanted to have some of the pieces of my role that I had in my previous position of, of kind of more of the supervisory role, but still having a clinical piece. I really enjoyed the admin and the clinical piece of just being in this work. And I woke up the next morning and I had an email from Sarah and it was like, can you be at an interview on Wednesday? This was like on a Monday. I love how you're talking about me in the third person as if I'm not here. Oh, yeah. You're right here. My bad. And so (laughs) Go on. I said, oh, shit. Like, this lady wants me to come to an interview on a Wednesday at like 11. Doesn't she know I got a full-time job? And I was like, you know what? Let me just go ahead and just hop on this call with her. And we met via Zoom. Mm -hmm. Before the pandemic. Before, Yeah, before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. We still met Zoom. And I said, I'm just going to hop on a call and just see what she's talking about. You know, of course, I looked up the website at this point and I'm like, oh, man, she's radical with her mohawk and shit. Like, okay, I like (laughs) this lady already. And we get in the interview. This is a true story, everybody. This is a true story. I get in the interview and she's like, yeah, tell me about you. You know, tell me a little bit about you. And I go into just a little bit about me and my work. You know, she's like, okay, you know, I really just wanted to make sure that the that your resume and CV actually matched up with the person, you know, on the other end. And I'm in my office and the place that I work for did not give us the Wi-Fi password. So I was just using cellular data. So there was oh, a little funny. bit of a glitch in the, in, in kind of our conversation. And when it came back, Sarah says to me, did you just call me a fucking bitch? And I froze. <laughs> I sat there I, and I was I like, don't remember this. I don't know how you don't remember this. You're going to remember as soon as I tell you what I said. <laughs> and, and, and I sat there and I was like, oh my gosh, like, what do I do with this? Like this lady just asked, like, who says this in an interview? Like what? <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. And my HR lawyer is like cringing and crying right now. Go on. <laughs> and I said, no, but if you want me to, I will. And she said, oh, man, she laughed. She's like, all right, I'll see you in round two, you know. And so I ended up, yeah, having a, having a second interview with a couple of people on the team. And lo and behold, here I am today. So I just, I didn't have any idea who Sarah was and, and the impact that she really has on the community and the field. And just, I think people in general, just the lives that she's touched. I had no idea at that point, what I was getting myself into. (laughs) (laughs) I still let, why are you talking about me in the third person? I don't know. Does that make it more comfortable? Cause you, I know you hate giving me words of affirmation. Is it easier if you're (sighs) pretending you're not saying it to me? (laughs) (laughs) It's this whole thing. I may be talking about you in the third person. So heads up everybody. Funny heads up. It's me. She's talking about me. Yeah. I'm talking about this lady, but you didn't answer my question. So I'm going to ask it again. (laughs) Mm. I mean, what's it been like for you to transition into an environment that asks for vulnerability and calls for it, really? Uh, I think it's been one of the most difficult growing pains that I've ever experienced in my life. I'm one of those people, I think most of my friends who probably know me can attest to this. 
And maybe after they listen to this, that they'll be able to say, oh my goodness, that's probably true. That there are very few people that I really share the depths of myself with. So coming into a space where somebody was really well, actually creating a space and holding a space with this level of of safety that it's okay to do that. And it's going to be met with love and it's going to be met with compassion. It's not going to be met with anger, with judgment, with all of these things that I think I was expecting to happen Mm -hmm. or things that I was was holding from previous employers of how Mm -hmm. I saw those employers show up. And maybe it was just the lack of authenticity that wasn't displayed on many of my managers and supervisors ends. Mm-hmm. And then I come into this place and you're like this, I don't know, like this mushy ball of like <laughs> sprinkles and shit. Like, <laughs> like this lady, like, oh my gosh. Like, mushy ball of uh, sprinkles and shit. Oh my God. That's the best compliment I've ever gotten. <laughs> and I just remember going home like, oh my God, mom, this lady is like asking me about my feelings and shit. Like, <laughs> How do I tell her to like stop asking me? Fuck off. Like, gosh, I don't know how that shit makes me feel. I don't know what's coming up for me. Why are you asking me this? Why is this important? And it was a a really, really difficult growth edge for me. Oh, the discomfort that I felt in those moments. Has it shifted? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Am I just out there vulnerable and things? I don't know if I would say that 100%. But I think that just on my healing journey and and what I've been working on the past couple of years, I definitely can probably see myself joining you in the Mushy Sprinkle Club for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Mushy Sprinkle Club, please come aboard. Yeah, I mean, and what you're really speaking to is my intention in creating the environment at Head Heart. I mean, I've always intended to create a healthy environment and I have been much less successful in other iterations of the business. But especially since you came on board and really were able to put a lot more structure into the business, then it's given me the space to really create that that healthy environment where we are asking for people's honesty and, and vulnerability and caring for one another. And it's been so, I mean, you and I talk about this all the time. It's so interesting to watch people come into this environment that, you know, I'm going to, it's really fucking healthy and some people can't tolerate it very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, definitely been the case for sure. I think about, you know, just even the word tolerate too, even for myself, you know, part of why I'm so even thankful to be able to be working at Head Heart and now transitioning into right buying the business was something that I wanted for myself. I remember, you know, when I was on this job hunt and I'm looking for jobs and even during my interview, I kept saying like, you know, I want to be in a place, I want to be in an environment that really supports growth. Honestly, like where I'm at right now, I feel so stifled and closed that there's like, where Mm -hmm. do I go? What am I doing? How am I actually growing? And I didn't realize that, you know, while yes, I'm looking for this clinical growth and expansion, I didn't realize that me taking on this role would come with emotional growth too. And I think that's been probably the most exciting piece for me is 
you know, even reflecting back on when I came to the team and just the level of growth that you definitely have witnessed and that I have witnessed too, but also how I chose to want to tolerate the discomfort. Yes. I chose to want to tolerate all these things yep. that came with me stepping into this role. And I think that there is a, you know, it's almost like, yeah, this fear, but being able to tolerate the things that come with, you know, stepping into who we are or this, this place of growth, whatever it may be that can really be difficult for people to, to want to step into. Yeah. And you made the choice, whether it was conscious or not, when you decided to switch from medical to psychology, that was the first step in getting you to where you are now. And so there was something in your soul that knew that if you were going to do your growth, I mean, not that that this is the only way you would have gotten your growth, but you know <laughs> what I mean? It, had you not made that choice, had you just gone into the medical profession, you might not have reached this point of emotional evolution, Oh, abs, there's no way. There's no way in hell. And quite frankly, I didn't even think that it would even happen with me even, you know, stepping in to become a therapist too. You know, I'm like working at Head Heart is unlike any place that I've ever worked at in my life. I don't even know how to explain it, but I didn't think that I, this level of growth, I never, I just never, this was never in my stars or I didn't think this was going to happen. Oh girl, me. it's in your birth chart somewhere. <laughs> you saw my chart. It's all weird and shit. Anybody who's seen it. I don't know. We're, we're going to get you a reading and we're going to figure it out. And they're going to be like, oh yeah, you were supposed to start to be vulnerable at like age 35. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe 45. We'll see. Let's see what happens in the next mm -hmm. nine years. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, something that you and I talk about a lot, and I want to figure out how to weave this into the conversation about you taking over the business, but being able to be your full self as a Black woman in the practice and the work that we try to do at the practice around liberation and social justice and whatnot. And there's a lot of shit been going down. There's a lot of shit always been going down, but the past like two years have been extra special. And you're stepping into like, becoming a, a business owner. And I'm just curious, anything you want to share around what it's been like for you to have a team that does the work that we're doing, yada, yada, whatever you want to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always thought that I would own a business, like being a therapist in retirement. It's like, mm. oh, I'm going to retire and maybe like open up a small practice or something like that. I never imagined that I would be stepping in to own a business at this point in my career, at this point in my journey, at this point in my life, honestly. And even more so in just the climate that we're in today. It's such an it's an honor, honestly. It's an honor to be able to step into this practice and this business and really make it my own. I don't know what that mm -hmm. looks like. I don't know you know, what I'm imagining that's going to be like. But I think this is such a pivotal moment for black women, people of color all over the world that like, yes, we have people who are out here supporting us and uplifting us. And, you know, I'm one of those people. I'm one of those people who, you know, you saw something in me and really, you know, decided to bring me in to take over this magical unicorn place thing that you that you built like me it's me it's like if I couldn't be any more different than you too which right. is even funnier that this opportunity has just been so gently placed in my hand and in my heart which is really cool 
And, you know, I think it's, you have already started kind of this pathway for the team of really doing this liberation work. And I think even for me, there was a little bit of resistance and hesitation, like, what the hell is this lady trying to do? Like, what does she want me to do? She wants to present. white savior in me. Yeah, I'm like, why is this fucking white lady coming in and she wants to do these presentations? And, you know, like, it was exciting. It it was exciting. It's like, oh my gosh, like, I am working with somebody who's really living and speaking, you know, anti-racism, anti-oppression, liberatory practice, practices, all of these things. Like, this is not something that you just spout off and, and talk about. This is actually how you've built the business. So why wouldn't I want to step in and take over a business that's really been built on these foundations, something that is so deeply important to me? And it's really exciting to have the opportunity to continue this work in a way that feels good to me that may look different than how you've started it. Well, it's certainly not going to be a unicorn anymore, right? It's going to be different. And we've talked about... And I I even said in the intro to this that businesses take on the personalities of their owners. And so as the business transitions to you, it is going to be different, you know, Mm -hmm. because I I asked you a couple of weeks ago, I'm like, is this a white centered business? And you're like, hell yeah, it is. And I'm like, fuck. (laughs) I mean, I feel like it's a queer centered business, which doesn't mean it's not white, but I hope that's not the thing that's right at the top. But what if it becomes a black centered business? Like, what would that amazingness look like, right? What will it look like? Like there's so many possibilities and I appreciate that it's cute how you're making this interview about all the great things you think about me and what I've built. So I'm going to go back to you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm laughing so hard on the other end. You all, I have the biggest smile on my face because Sarah is, I'm like a little bear, but like a sweet bear. It's like you're nudging Mm -hmm. me and nudging me and nudging me. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, okay, I'm just going to embrace you and just give you a big hug. But of course, it's easier to talk about you. (laughs) I know, but I'm sure people listening are like, I don't care about Sarah. Talk about the guest. But let's do the healer question. Let's do that. Mm. Because I think Mm -hmm. that's fun. Would you consider yourself a healer? I would. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm somebody who um, holds space for healing. I hold space for healing for the other person on the other end and hell for myself too. So absolutely. I do think I'm a healer. That's awesome. I am surprised. So many people push that away. No, I think about, I mean, if I just think about the definition of what it means to heal, to make better or, you know, to remedy something to improve somebody's health or cultivate wellness. I think that is, you know, part of the reason that I'm in this field and why I'm a therapist. So I definitely believe that that is a word that resonates with me in the work that I do. And how do you feel about the term wounded healer? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Wounded healer. Absolutely. I agree with that. Yes, I do think I'm a wounded healer. I think I'm, I'm only at the beginning of my healing journey and of things that are really shifting and, and changing for me. While yes, I'm, I'm still holding space for my clients too that I'm on my own journey as well. So I do believe that I am a wounded healer, yeah. I'm interrupting this awesome conversation to share about an upcoming opportunity for mental health professionals. You asked for a group for mental health professionals, so I'm giving you just that. In our lifetime, it's never been more challenging to be a mental health professional. Our jobs, our clients, our communities place various demands on our energy and our spirit. 
But in order to offer our best, I believe we must take care of ourselves and do our inner work as well. As wounded healers, we're called to attend to our own recovery and transformation in order to support the healing of others. Wounded Healers Virtual Group is an eight-week group for mental health professionals led by me. In this group, we will create a sacred container to support one another's healing, integrating spirituality, principles of the neuroaffective relational model, shame resilience, and liberation psychology. We'll use the chakra system as a frame for our weekly meetings. And we'll be meeting Monday nights starting March 7th, 2022 on Zoom. And we currently have a discount for current contributing Patreon members. For more info and to register, please visit www.tinyurl.com slash woundedhealersvg-1. Now back to our conversation. Well, what, what have you noticed is changing? Because you said like over the past couple years, like the internal work that you've been doing, what are you, what are you working on that you're willing to share? I know. <laughs> She's flipping me off right now. <laughs> and we can cut out anything that makes you uncomfortable. But here I am pulling you slowly, quickly. No, that's a great question. You know, a lot of my work has really been, I think, centered around kind of my my family dynamics, honestly. Mm-hmm. In particular, you know, my relationship with my mother, with my parents, and things that, you know, happened throughout my youth and my childhood and even into my adult life that I'm recognizing now as an adult that, you know, has caused discomfort for me, that it hasn't felt good for me, or things that I have wanted to deepen connection and relationships and not really know how to do that or what that meant. And so I think going to therapy, being in therapy weekly has really supported me in being able to have those open conversations with my family members and asking for, which is a big one for me, asking for, for what I need, asking for support, which is not something that I've ever that I don't really ever do. I've just always been the person like, oh, I'll figure it out. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll get it done. I know what to do. And so it's almost like taking off my superwoman cape and allowing people to be able to show up and support me and really being able to receive that. It's been a really yeah. big work in progress for me. And you know, hopefully that it's a continued journey that really allows me to expand and continue to receive uh, support in a way that I deserve the way that I deserve. Right. Yeah. I love to hear you say you deserve it. And, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about this like stereotype of the strong black woman. And on one hand, that's what's made you good at your job. It's what's made you an excellent manager and administrator. And that piece of not taking support. Can I share one of the call outs that our staff gave you in our reviews? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So so we we did reviews with our staff, of course, like it's a thing you have to do for your employees. But we also asked for the employees to review us. And one of the pieces of feedback, they didn't say it was to Rayel, but I'm going to guess it was, was that sometimes the management team doesn't model the, you know, they'll say that we should self-care and we should rest, but the management team doesn't model that. You want to talk a little bit about that? Like what comes up for you around that? I'm laughing because, you know, I love taking vacations. I love being on vacation, but it's like a whole, it's like a prep for me. Like, it's like, I have to know like, okay, it's January. Like, okay, I know for sure I'm going on vacation this week and this month. 
And then six months later, that week in that month, like it's so calculated. What would happen if you didn't calculate? I'm curious. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Speechless. <laughs> yeah, actually, I haven't considered it. If I didn't calculate, if I just all of a sudden decided to take off next week, I wouldn't like that because I don't have a flight booked anywhere. So for me, taking time off of work means that I am leaving Chicago. Like I've never taken time off of work and just stayed in Chicago. Oh, staycations are great. I've never even taken a sick day from work in my life. What? Never taken a sick day. You don't get sick, which is really interesting. Yeah, I don't get sick. I don't get anything. No colds, no strep. No, you knock on wood, girl. Nothing. We don't want you to get COVID. Every year I knock on it. The flu, nothing. I don't know. I have a rock hard immune system. Because she drinks like gallons of water per day. <laughs> How many gallons? Like 20? Listen, water is a miracle drug. Don't talk shit about water. <laughs> All y'all out there that are dehydrated, look, drink your water. Drink your That's water. Me. I'd rather drink Diet Coke. Uh, a gallon every single day like clockwork. That's why I got good skin too. I know. You know water does the body good. So my envisioning of taking time off always has translated to me, meaning going somewhere. So I have, you know, never really taken vacation and just stayed in Chicago or just stayed wherever I live. That's just not how I've always perceived a vacation at all. Mm -hmm. I'll say in your defense, too, since you've been on the team, we've been in a pandemic, basically. So it's Mm -hmm. not like vacation has constantly been an option the whole time. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm at home, working at home. I mean, I started January 1st, uh, January yep. 2nd, 2020. 2020. Mm-hmm. So That's right. it's like, I met you in person maybe once or twice. Yeah. Before lockdown. Yep. Yeah. So most of my role and me being able to connect with you and build a relationship with you has been virtual. Yeah. So we haven't been back in the office for a year yet. So right. what the past six or seven months that we've actually been able to have some actual human contact mm-hmm. and interaction. Well, one, one of the things that I'm thinking about in terms of that piece of feedback is that you came in. I remember one of our first like long conversations, you were like, this is me. This is just how I am. I'm this, I'm whatever. And, you know, I had already started NARM. And we talk about identifications, right? And when we're really attached to our identifications, then it's difficult for us to be flexible and curious, right? And so, you know, you'd say things like, this is just how I am. And I was like, I'm going to change that. And one of the things was, I think that you, I think that in that moment, whether it was that you were actually valuing this or you were showing yourself to me as if you valued this was that you didn't take a lot of time off, that you were a workhorse and a workaholic and and that sort of stuff. And I think that was, at least that's the way you were portraying yourself, that that was part of your identity. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if that feedback is kind of a, a reminder of that shadow that you came in with, that you I've seen you shed, because you are a way different person than you were two years ago when we started working together. But it's still lingering out there, that pride in not needing rest. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I'm just, you know, as you're saying that I'm really reflecting on that conversation that you and I had, like just the many of conversations that we had when I started, like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I'm blah, blah, blah. Or I don't need to do that. I don't need to do that. It was almost like, yes, I'm trying to prove that I'm such a hard worker, you know, to this person. And actually in my last interview with you, you brought up NARM 
and said, oh, I can't wait till you start NARM. It's going to change you. <laughs> and it actually, I was pissed off when I left the interview. It was like, I left. And, and when I messaged you, like, uh, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. This is where I want to be. This is where I'm supposed to be. And I remember going back to my mom saying like, yeah, this fucking lady's trying to tell me that, you know, I'm going to do some training or some shit's going to change me. Like, she don't know me. Like, no training is going to change me. It's not going to shift anything about me. Blah, blah, blah. I was talking so much shit. And now (laughs) here I am over here. Like, okay, like, give me a little nudge towards this next opportunity of growth for me. What is what's next? What's what's next? You're going to push me to discomfort. All right, I'm going to go ahead and and put my toes right at the edge and lean right into that. Mm -hmm. And not everybody (laughs) does that, right? Like, I remember at one point, like right after the lockdown started and you and I were having supervision and I was definitely pushing you a little bit and you were like, fuck no, we are not going to a vulnerable place. And it's funny, I had a couple conversations with some supervisors about that because I was afraid that you didn't have it in you to go there, but you did. Like, and then after reflecting and realizing, you know what? We just went into a lockdown pandemic and she lives by herself. So maybe cut her some fucking slack, right? Like (laughs) that was not the moment to get vulnerable. (laughs) Yeah, that was not a good moment. That was not, you know what I learned in the pandemic too is I've never been like a big hugger. Like, you know, Mm. I'm like, ah, get off of me. Like, you know, like, yeah, I could, I love you so much, but you don't have to like hug me and grasp me, you know? And finally about grasp me. Yeah, get off. <laughs> about six months into the pandemic, I was like, oh shit, I need a hug. Yeah. So it's finally like, okay, how much I didn't realize how much I actually appreciated a hug or what mm-hmm. a hug signified to me. I didn't even realize that until it was really taken away from me. And just being able to to really embrace people has been Wow, it's been pretty amazing to and now I love hugging. So if you see me, hug me. I was gonna say she gives good hugs, y'all. <laughs> well, let, let's talk about Narm a little bit. And I'm gonna just continue to annoy you by putting these vulnerabilities on the table. But mm. so Narm, as everybody listening to the show knows, the neuroeffective relational model, and I got trained in it. I find the model like really transformational for me personally and professionally. And I encourage you to do it as well. And once I finished NARM and kind of felt like, okay, I kind of sort of know what I'm doing with this model, then I I shifted supervision to kind of reflect that. And so I started off our supervisions with the dreaded NARM question, what is it that you want for yourself today? And you had a very interesting and surprising to me reaction to that. You want to share? <laughs> I don't know if I remember to. I'm, actually, I do. I was like, I don't know what the fuck I want. I don't know. Why are you asking me that question? I don't fucking know what I want. What do Mm -hmm. you mean what I want? Like, what does that even mean? Yeah. I did. I got got really aggressive with that question. Yeah, yeah. But I'm going to say, because I also don't want to, like, let anyone think we're letting you slip into this, like, angry black woman stereotype. It wasn't Mm -hmm. aggressive towards me, but it was definitely aggressive towards the question. Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, I've never even been asked that. What do you mean? Unless I'm like at a restaurant or something, right? Well, that's already pre-planned for me. I have to go with what's on the menu. But you're giving me this freedom to really tell you exactly what is it that I want. And it was such a hard question. I just remember after we met for supervision, there was like this block in my chest. Like it felt Mm. so heavy. 
And it was like the next week came around and I knew I had to meet with you. And I was like, oh, I'm dreading going in there <laughs> because I know she's going <laughs> to ask me this question. And oh my God, it's another week and I still don't know. Mm. And I'm the type of person, if you're asking me something about me, then I know. If it's about me, then I know. I know about me. And mm. so it was more anger at myself mm. that this person is asking me something that I don't even know about myself. How do mm. I not know what I need? Mm. How do I not know that? How do I not know? And at some point you started to figure it out. I did. Narm is a really beautiful model for really just giving you the space to explore so many things. And I think after I also completed level two of the NARM training and, and, you know, afterwards it was like, oh my goodness, after the second module in that training about halfway through, like something, it was almost like I did a whole 180 of how I saw myself in relationship with people. Yeah. And it was literally after training two or module two, excuse me, of talking about agency. And mm -hmm. that is, I know that module was really difficult for people to hear and a lot comes up for people. But for me, I was like, fuck yeah, Rael, get your shit together. Take responsibility and ownership for how you're showing up and what's going on with you mm -hmm. in relation to these things that are happening outside of you. And so I really just started to look at how I show up in relationship with other people. And it's still a growth edge for me, this really being able to communicate exactly, being direct, what is actually mm -hmm. happening for me? What is it that's coming up for me? And part of that is really leaning into discomfort and fear and like trusting yeah. myself too. It's like I trust myself to be able to manage and hold and be able to move through whatever is going to happen for me sharing or disclosing or bringing up this thing that doesn't feel good to me. Right. And wow, the growth that comes from that, just being able to trust yourself to manage and hold whatever emotion it is, whether it's happiness, anger, sadness. So a big part of my work has really been trusting myself to be okay with what's going to happen when I stand in my own authenticity and I stand in what's true for me. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting about that too is you, if it's okay to give a reflection, right? Like sure, the, the mm -hmm. rail that I met before NARM, I would probably, you know, if we're kind of diagnosing from a NARM perspective, I'd say you were really attached to pride-based identifications of, mm -hmm. you know, I don't need rest. I got this figured out. You know, I'm a strong black woman, all that kind of shit. And, but the control and the authenticity of agency that you have right now is different. It's not from this pride-based identification. It's really from this more true trust in your inner wisdom rather than pushing against something on the outside. That's something being probably fucking white supremacy, you know, at every turn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like, I think, too, is really the environment, honestly. So it's like I know that if I need something, I can ask you. If I need to take time off, that's going to be met with love. That's going to be met with compassion. That's going to be met with, yeah, take time. Take time to take care of yourself. Whereas I don't think that any other, I probably was shamed 
in yeah. any other place maybe that I've worked at, like, oh, you can't do that. Like, oh, you got to, you know, we're going to have to do X, Y, and Z. It was like always like there would be some maybe consequence or something or something would happen to the business or the other people. It was like this level of responsibility of guilt or something being placed on you for taking care of yourself. So yeah. I just never even thought to do it. I just thought that there was never any space to do it. And then I mm-hmm. walk into this place where it's like, yeah, please do that. We're in a field of wellness and, and taking care of yourself and caring for yourself. That doesn't mean just clients. That means you too. Mm-hmm. So leaning into and trusting that, that I'm going to be held too, even when I do make that decision. Well, and I'll just say specifically for you, you know, being a manager, you know, it's always different with every single employee, right? And there are some employees that were like, okay, that's enough mental health time. Like you kind of got to suck it up and like do your job at this point, right? But you're on the opposite end of the spectrum and you and Rich, like, okay, Rich and Rael have a love fest. They <laughs> mutually adore one another and it is the cutest thing. I keep telling him he needs to get his own friends, but he refuses and continues to steal all the people in my life. But you and Rich are so the same in that way. Like if he sits down to read a book for five minutes, he'll be like, oh, I'm so lazy. And I see you the same way. So like you actually, if you ever, she's never done this, but if you ever came to me and you're like, Sarah, I need a fucking day off. I would like pee my pants with joy. (laughs) Well, but I would, I mean, anytime you share something personal with me, it's a diamond, right? It's so special because I know that you really fucking hate to do it. And so if you ever came to me and you were like, I need a mental health day, I would celebrate. 100%. You know? It's on the horizon. It's on the horizon. Oh, God. No, no, don't say it that way. (laughs) No, I'm just fine. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and honestly, too, if I'm thinking about, I think I've always done things in my life to really find balance in my life to just support my own mental health, whether it's be, you know, me going to therapy or, you know, I'm an early riser. Crazy person. I'm like a super early bird. It's like, I'm the 515, 530 person. (laughs) Like, let me get up and, you know, just have this quiet time to myself. The world is not in full mode chaos and people aren't running everywhere. It's like this just, just simple quietness where you're unbothered. And so I think my early rising and just having that peace and that quiet really just sets me up for my day. And I think as I continue to do that and just amongst everything, drinking my water, you know, finding time to exercise and take care of my health and, you know, talk to people who I love, all these things have really been something that's just really stable in my life that's always supported my mental health and how I show up. So I'm really grateful for that, of all these things that I have that have worked for me all of these years. Well, what I also think seems to work for you and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me like you're really good at shutting off work when you are not at work. And I think people like me are not good at shutting off work. And I'm, even if I'm sitting on the couch, I'm probably on head heart social media and I'm thinking about whatever employee issue we're dealing with that day. Or if I've got a client who's struggling, I'm still thinking about it. But I think for all the rigidity that you it serves you to turn that shit off. And that's really, it's, that is what's going to help you survive when you own the business, because that's what nearly killed me. Mm-hmm. Honestly. 
honestly, you know what, when I started in community behavioral health, I remember leaving the agency that I worked at, like, oh my gosh, I was, my heart was just being pulled on every single day. Mm -hmm. It's like, I would leave that place. And I brought all of that home with me for years. Mm. It's like, I'm coming home and I'm like, ah, man, I should have just gave, I had $5. I should have just gave that client $5. So they should have got home on the Mm. bus or like, oh my goodness. Like, you know what? Like I could just tell that person they can come to my house and stay on my couch. Bring your kid too. and say, I know. Right. It's like all these like irrational, unhealthy thoughts about Mm -hmm. my clients of how much I just wanted to save them. I just wanted to help them. I just wanted to keep doing more and doing more and doing more and doing more. And it got to a point where it was like, oh my gosh, this, I don't even know if I can continue to stay in this field. The amount of things that I'm continuing to bring home, it was just, it was so stressful. And I just got into a routine of every time I left and I locked the door, I used to run the PM IOP group. So I would stay and try to finish up my notes, of course, so I didn't have things left over for the next day. But by the time I was getting home, it'd be 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And I would lock the door and I, and I started telling myself, Rael, you did everything you could today. You did a good mm-hmm. job today. And I locked the door and I would go get on the bus. And my bus ride home was about an hour and 15 minutes. I did that for over seven years to and from work. And that time to just decompress and really start just shifting how, what I'm thinking about, what I'm carrying home with me. And it was really just kind of mantra that I was telling myself, you did a good job today. You did mm. everything you could today. It's going to be there tomorrow. They'll be there tomorrow. Mm. And I told myself that until it got to a point where as soon as I locked the door, I'd be like, hell yeah, I'm off work. I'm out of this Peace. shit. Get me on this bus. Let me take me. That's time to take a nap on the bus. You know, I'm taking a nap. And it was just like, I got to get up in five I'm hours. Out. Exactly. I'm like, I got to get, I got to get home and you know, I got to get my routine, all the stuff. And then it became like clockwork. I would leave and I just, I had settled into that. And I think that is something that has just stayed with me since then. Mm-hmm. When I'm, when I'm off work, like I did everything I could today. I did a good job today. Even if I don't feel like I did, I still tell myself that like you did Mm -hmm. a good job today. Turn your Mm -hmm. show on. Yep. Watch my stories. Mm -hmm. Well, do you have a 530 tonight? I don't. I made sure my schedule was clear. Oh, so you could have a vulnerability hangover after this? Yeah. As soon as I close, as soon as we're off of here. She's going to be like, what? Okay. So before (laughs) we go, I just want to publicly tell people how you saved my life and It sounds very dramatic, but it's completely true. And owning this business has been the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life. And it's been the most painful. And there have been multiple times where I just wanted to die because, I mean, I didn't really want to die, but I had painted myself into a corner that I didn't know how to get out of. And in 2020, I just went like down, fucking tumbling downhill And reached a point where I was like, if I don't do something drastic, I am going to die. And I remember telling you, like, I've got to go away. I I have to do this for myself or I'm not going to live. And you were like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. You know, literally, (laughs) but not in a flippant way. Like, you were like, I got this. And Mm -hmm. I mean, God bless those pride-based identifications because I know that once I left, you were like, oh, shit, is there, oh, fuck, is there something I don't know? (laughs) But you did it. You figured it out. I was gone for three weeks. Well, I was gone for a total of a month. I was out, out of town and out of touch for three weeks. And 
There was something about being able to let go of the reins for the first time in seven years or whatever it was at that point that I could rest for the first time. And that that was the moment that I knew this is hers. She's my Charlie of the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> That's it. And I love you so much. And people like you're being super cute and professional today. Like people are still not getting the depth of our sarcastic love relationship, but this is like so true from the heart. We have been siblings in another lifetime. I don't know what it is, but like something like you and I are just such a fucking great fit together. And I am beyond grateful to whatever higher powers out there that brought you into my life to save my life and to take over a business that it was either, you know, at some point I was like, either I got to dissolve this or I got to sell it. And of course there's no one I'd rather turn this over to than you. Thank you. You're welcome. And you're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. I never say that. I always say some smart ass shit to Sarah. I know. I never say you're welcome. You're thank you. You know, thank you. I never, you know, I don't really talk nice about Sarah. Actually. No, you don't. I talk shit about Sarah all the time. That's how I know you love me. (laughs) In all love. Yes. I have so much love for you. I love you too. This past couple of years, it's been such a fun journey. Oh, it's been so, so fun. It's been so fun. And just, you know, the level of trust that you've held in me too. I'm just grateful that we have that relationship that really has blossomed and and continues to blossom. Well, and you know, we talked a little bit about trust the other day and we're not, obviously we don't have to go into all the vulnerable stuff, but you know, you were just talking about how difficult it is for you to trust. And I, I know you trust me. And again, that's a fucking diamond. Like you give me these jewels and I know you don't give them to everyone. And I really want to publicly say how preciously I hold everything that you give me. You better. That's just worth a lot of fucking money. (laughs) You better hold that it shit with sure care. It sure fucking is. It is. <laughs> well, my love, is there anything that we didn't talk about today that you want to say to listeners before we sign off? I don't think so. It's been a pleasure. I'll be back. Yeah, you'll be around. I'll, I'll be back. Yeah, you'll be I'll around. Be yeah. And people can find you not on social media because Rayel does not do social yes. media. So literally, if you want to learn about her, you just have to go to our website. That's all you can do. That's all she's going to give you because she has it locked up. Listen, I have Instagram, but I've never posted anything. Right. I do like to support other people and what other people are doing. If somebody DM'd me, I would respond. But I typically don't post on social media. Well, Um, once you're big and famous, you won't want to respond anymore. (laughs) Trust me. I'm behind the scenes, behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Well, I love you and thank you for being here. My dearest, deepest thanks to Raelle for being a guest today on the show. If you'd like to learn more about Raelle, she's actually on my website. Just go to www.headhearttherapy.com and this episode will be at slash podcast. Thanks to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for our album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, bye-bye.